fear. Okay, bye, kids. Uh, a little late. <clears throat> uh, a doctor, a lawyer, and a politician show up at the pearly gates. So you, <laughs> you already know what you're going to get right about now, right? It's that kind of a day. That's the way we're starting. With that kind of an opening line, you, you know what you're just about to get. And so just to clarify right off the top, this part right now, probably not completely theologically accurate, okay? <laughs> just in case you were wondering. At the pearly gates, these three are confronted by St. Peter, of all people, who apparently always hangs out at them gates. So, St. Peter informs them that in order for them to get into heaven, they would each have to answer a question with a varying degree of difficulty based on how they had lived their life on earth. <clears throat> Starts with the doctor. Here's your question. You need to name a vessel that was sunk by an iceberg on its maiden voyage. The doctor thinks, really, is this it? That's it? Uh, the Titanic? And Peter says, that's correct. Welcome into heaven. Next, it's the lawyer. <clears throat> Let's make this a little bit more difficult, because even though he did some good things, it's lawyer, and he was kind of a bit of an ambulance chaser. And So, here's the question. How many people died on that ship? The lawyer lets out a little bit of a sigh of relief. He really liked the movie, and so now his heart can go on. About 1,500 people, he says. And Peter, being the great guy that he is, says, ah, close enough. Come on in and welcome to heaven. Now, next, Peter turns to the politician and says, now, you're going to have to name them all. <laughs> There is fascination in our culture with heaven, uh, whether it's shows or movies or hilarious jokes, uh, talk show references, or just cultural references. It comes up all the time, and it's not necessarily uh, based on religiosity. It's not it's kind of a human thing, right? So, think about our language and all the different references that we have, that we use to talk about heaven. We think about heaven. So, what do you call two things or two people that just go really well together. You're not like peanut butter and honey, bread and butter. We call that a match made in heaven. You have an experience, and it's extraordinary. It's once in a lifetime. So good. They're so happy. They say, oh, we've died and gone to heaven. And, and if you did something that was really, really difficult, super hard for somebody else, and you wanted them to know just how hard that was, you tell them what? You tell them that you had to move heaven and earth to make this happen. Perhaps you're exasperated. You might say, oh, for heaven's sake. And I'm not sure if it's positive or negative. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's neither. But watch out. Don't go in there because that place stinks to high heaven. So that's bad, right? But then if you're in hog heaven, that's good. Um, this stuff doesn't always make sense, but uh, that doesn't stop people from saying it. Oh, heavens no. These references, they come up. They come up all over the place. Poets, they used to write stuff like this. And um, now, in this kind of era, most of our poets or the most famous poets tend to be musicians, and they write about this stuff. So there's numerous perspectives regarding heaven 
that you find in music, especially, first of all, from Mr. Zeppelin, perhaps you know him, Led, Led Zeppelin. He got famous singing about his Stairway to Heaven. Stretching back to November, we might remember ACDC was going the other way on their highway to hell. Guns N' Roses made a song by Bob Dylan, really famous, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, which could be helpful, by the way, because if you get there and, and you can't get in because St. Peter, he's dozed off, or maybe he's gone fishing, you're going to need to knock on the door. So heaven uh, comes up lots and lots, but why? I mean, where does this fascination come from? What's driving it? Why do we think about it? Why do we talk about it? Why is it seemingly so universal? And it might have something to do with this. Right now, throughout the world, we have found that for all of those currently living, the mortality rate is at 100%. We are certain that there is going to be an end to this life. And the question that we have is, well, then what? What's next? Should, should I look forward to that? Does it make any difference? Should I, should I dread that? How do I know what's there? What, what difference does it make to me now? And so, a recent survey found that on average, people think about death three to four times a month. We contemplate it. You know, it comes up. Stephen Covey, do you know him, the author? He wrote a really famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the second habit he mentioned is begin with the end in mind. So, those of you who are specifically in your earlier stage of like, like, 20, like uh, 20s or 30s, but not exclusively, but, you know, for you particularly, you should think about your funeral and what you want said about you. And, th- and then you should back up all the way to now and think, if I'm going to begin with that end in mind, how do I need to live my life in such a way that when I get there, the things that I want to be said about me will actually be the things that are said about me. So, life experiences, we have them. They drive our interests. They make decisions for us, like the loss of a loved one, near-death experiences, difficult circumstances, having children. They all influence what we do. But here's a starter question for you. What do you think about when you think about heaven? What comes to your mind? What are the images that start playing in your home interior brain theater? So, so you got some thoughts about heaven. How do those thoughts make you feel? Do they make you feel excited? I can't wait, heaven! Do they make you feel worried? I don't know, heaven. There's lots of interest in heaven, but there's also lots of misinformation, speculation, and confusion about heaven. Polls show that even Christian understanding of heaven is tremendously unsure. Many, many wonder if heaven is a real physical place. And many others are are just say, you know what, I don't know. Maybe worse, some people, Christians included, find that what they know or think they know about heaven, they find it to be uninteresting and unreliable. So, why would I want that? Man, I really like what's happening here right now. Why would I want to play a harp and float around? I think that the problem isn't that we don't think about heaven enough. I think that the problem is that we don't think enough 
about heaven. We don't think highly enough about heaven. It, it, it's not all that impressive to us. It's not inspiring to us. We haven't had it portrayed in that way, and most of us don't have a particularly good picture of the true realities of heaven. So, we, some of us have been sold a picture of heaven. Other people told us about it, and it doesn't sound very alluring, frankly. Instead, it kind of sounds boring. I mean, the rough picture that we have as a culture is uh, that there's Led Zeppelin on his stairway to heaven. So, we get up to the stairway, right? And that stairway takes you up some gates, some pearly gates. And I don't remember where I heard it, but I'm pretty sure that it's true that somehow these gates are on clouds and the all of heaven is kind of built on clouds. That's what I was told. That's what somebody showed me. We heard something about streets of gold, right? I mean, that stands out and that sounds interesting. But honestly, is it a really good idea to walk on gold? I mean, is that a good thing? Then on these streets of gold, there's mansions, right? Heard something about mansions. I don't know exactly what they said, but there's just streets and streets and streets full of mansions. And well, some people kind of like the sound of that, but that also kind of sounds like there's going to have to be a lot of vacuuming and, and dusting and cleaning and who, I mean, who does all that? Am I supposed to do all that? Heaven sounds like there might be a lot of housework. And just what style of mansion will it be, right? Is it the kind that Jesus saw in the first century Israel? It's the kind He knows best, right? Will it be Art Nouveau? Maybe they'll make it Gothic. Maybe they'll be more castle-like. But how is God going to account for all of the different cultures and building styles. Are those going to be neighborhoods? That like, this is the castle neighborhood? Or do we just mix them all together? Will, will I really need all of that? I mean, how many people will be living with me? Is it my mansion? Or is it just a shared mansion? Will there be roommates? Will I like that? Will they leave their dirty clothes on the floor? Will they do their own dishes? Will they sneak into my cookies? Or will they leave the milk pitcher basically empty in the fridge? Okay, so another, another thing kind of well-known about heaven is the throne. Heard about the throne. This is the throne that the Lamb of God sits on, a throne for Jesus. We are told that people are going to gather around this throne. And they don't just gather and hang out, but they are going to be worshiping day and night. That seems a little long, um, I wonder how close that that will be all going on to my mansion. I mean, it might be loud. They, they, they might play music that I'm not particularly into. So, I'm not sure how that's going to go either. And people from every tribe and tongue and nation, so that's busy, uh, crowded, and I, I don't really like crowds. Uh, that probably means lineups. I don't really like lineups either. And this is our picture of heaven, right? Put together. Somebody cobbled this together. Our picture brought to us by our culture. This is what we are thinking about, so no wonder. No wonder we don't have an aching longing or a deep sense of wonder and appreciation for heaven. No wonder our desire is, eh, you know, kind of tepid about arriving at this place. I don't really like the plan that you have to go through to get there. Uh, we, we just don't have a very good view of heaven. We cannot picture it well. So today, I want to keep messing you up, all right? I want you to leave today with a whole bunch of questions. Just how does the Bible talk about heaven? 
And I'm going to help us build a bit of a framework that's based on three conversations, three snapshots, if you will, of heaven. These will show us how Jesus viewed the reality of heaven. Conversation number one. And you're going to feel like this one might be a little bit sketchy, okay? Because Jesus has a conversation with two criminals. You go, "Uh uh-oh, right? That might make it a little bit awkward. It's a TV show. Conversations while being crucified with criminals. Things I never want to do. Luke 23 is where we start. Verse 39. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. 40. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die? 41. We deserve to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. We earned this. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this first snapshot, this first reality that Jesus talked about is a place that people go who believe in Him. That's where they go after they die. This is probably the, uh, the most common snapshot of heaven. For the repentant criminal, Jesus, with confidence, assures this guy that paradise, this heaven, is as close as this afternoon for him. Conversation number two, Jesus with His disciples. So, a lot's happened, and He's told them, my time on earth is basically done. He's getting ready to leave the earth, and that you know, freaks them out. Things haven't gone exactly the way they thought they should. They're probably more than a little bit troubled by that. He sees this trouble. He senses this tension. And so he says, this is John chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Two, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Three, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Second snapshot of heaven. Jesus is not talking about the same place that you go when you die. He's talking about where Jesus' followers will will spend eternity. He's talking about coming back, getting people, and taking them to a place that is still being prepared. Second reality, there is a future heaven. It's unique, it's distinct from the place that you go when you first die. Third conversation, third snapshot of heaven, conversation number three. It's a conversation where Jesus reveals uh, insight into heaven by talking about prayer. So, the disciples have been watching Jesus. They, they, they've seen the way He lives. They're recognizing that Jesus just had something totally different going on when He prayed. They had grown up with prayer 
It was part of their lives. It was an integral part of their lives. And yet Jesus, man, He had something truly special happening when He prayed. The disciples said, I've seen it. I lack it. I need to learn more, something about this. Teach us to pray, Jesus. Help me out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 11, give us this day our daily bread. 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can experience or participate in heaven here and now. It's less about a place that you go to, and it's more about impacting this place with the values of the kingdom of heaven. Experiencing heaven in this life, not just in the afterlife. So, three distinct photos, snapshots of the realities of heaven. Jesus talked about heaven in three separate yet related realities. Right? A little bit tricky. So, He says, heaven is now in another place. That's the present heaven. That's where you go when you die. Heaven is here at another time. That's the place where we will spend eternity. Then heaven is also here and now, but in another way. We can experience it here and now, but in another way. It's important to recall that Jesus, as He's speaking, um, in the context always that He's speaking is Hebrew understanding about time, all right? So, oftentimes, we approach the Scriptures and we read onto them our worldview and mindset. It just makes sense. It's what we know, right? So, I'm just letting you know that sometimes what we know is not the way that everyone thinks. So we forget or don't acknowledge or don't understand that most of Scripture, not all, but most of Scripture is being written to a distinctly Jewish culture. And if it's not primarily Jewish, it's still completely ancient and Near Eastern, not Western. All right? So Jesus and the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers all speak about time in a non-Western way. They divided it into two things. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is having a debate with some Pharisees back and forth, and He basically tells them that their actions will have consequences, and they won't be able to escape those consequences. Verse 32, they can't escape their consequences in this age or in the age to come. And He divides time into two pieces. Now, when we think about life and, and time, we see, we see it in terms of this life and the afterlife. But they thought bigger than that. They thought of two ages. There was this age, and then there is the age to come. And in this age, there is a present heaven and a present earth. The present heaven was separate from the present earth. They are two different things. 
The present heaven is where you go when you die. It is now and in another place. Present earth is obviously where we are right now. We're on it. We're in it. But then they also thought about the age to come. And Jesus described the age to come, and we're going to talk about that in the next episodes, okay? So, in the age to come, there is a new heaven and a new earth, all right? So, you might be wondering why I said that heaven is here at another time. The heaven that's going to be here in another time, we're going to talk about that, but not next episode, the one after that, okay? Scripture talks about that place being prepared. So, we got time, all right? It's not done yet. We got time. We can, we can do it in a couple of episodes. No rush. We'll get there. It's still being prepared. But John in Revelation, he says that it will descend out of the sky, and then we will experience a new heaven and a new earth. It will happen as the two ages converge. It it will be a change from this age into the age to come. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens before the converging of the two ages. It's kind of a line between this age and the age to come, right? And in that line, there's a lot of debate, right? And it's kind of fun to talk about. Sometimes it's less debate and more argue. In that line, right before the two ages come together, that's where you talk about some of that stuff from Revelation, right? Words like the millennium and the final judgment and the dragon and the beast and the antichrist and things like that, right in that line. But because we're focusing on heaven, we're not going to get into any of that today, all right? So, next episode, we're going to dive into this age. And we're going to talk about the present heaven. So, maybe a little something about what happens when you die, but I'm not going to write a book about what happens when you die, and there's a bright light, and there's a tunnel, so don't worry, we're not doing that. And I also want to assure you that there will be no live experimentation, all right? Then we will also look more at doing what Jesus said. How can you experience, to some degree, the present heaven in this present earth? How does our view of heaven impact how we live on earth, and specifically, how should it impact that? What ways could it impact our living? Okay, then in episode three, we're going to look at, uh, let's call it an interesting passage in Revelation as we look ahead into the age to come. We'll take a tour of the eternal heaven and see what we can see. We'll have a viewing. But for now, in this age, there is a very specific Greek word that Jesus used that is used for time, okay? It can be translated as age or world or life. Not a specific moment in time, more of a period of time. Not a precise time, more of an indeterminate period of time like an era, 
okay? And you know this because you do this all the time. When you tell a story, you do this. When you say something like, well, during my childhood, right? You, 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 don't, you don't make it a specific date, but it's also certainly not the most common word that you would use in the context that he used it. So, there are at least two other Greek words that you might use, and you've probably heard of at least one of them, and that's chronos. That's Greek for time. Check the time, right? The other word is kairos. Kairos is more of a, a season of time, like a longer period of time. And there are the, the, these two words are way, way more common in their culture. Words that they would use, words that they would have expected. But the word that was actually used would be likely to catch the attention of the people listening. Why? Because it was also the proper name of a Roman deity, a god from the Hellenistic period, which is about 300 years leading up to the arrival of Jesus, a time that is dominated by worshiping a large collection, a pantheon of gods. These are the kind that you learned about in school. This was a well-known god in that culture. His name is Ion. I just happen to have a snapshot of him right here, right here. Here he is. He's looking buff, a little underdressed, but uh, buff. He was known as being the God of the ages, but he was most commonly referred to as the Father or the King of the universe or the God of gods or the Lord of lords or the Lord of all. Titles sound familiar? The symbolism is unbelievable. Some of you know about the zodiac. Zodiac represents the, uh, the belt around the heavens and the earth not talking about Zodiac today either. Uh, The belt goes around and there are 12 signs on the Zodiac. And Ion, standing in the middle, uh, middle of the 12 signs, as if to say, I am the center of the entire universe. The heavens and the earth, they're mine. And he's looking down here over Mother Earth, also inappropriately dressed. Sorry about that. And her four children, the four seasons of life. Ion, saying like, I'm the God of all time. And he's famously portrayed standing in between two trees. One is green, and it represents the tree of life. And the other one on the other side is more of a barren tree and the the tree of death. So he stands between two trees, and he claims to be the God of all time. And Jesus shows up, comes on the scene, and he uses the word for time that also just happens to be the name of a Greek god, a Roman god. And Jesus claims to be the ultimate authority over all of time in this age, in this world, in this life, and in the age to come. And at Easter, those pagan gods were replaced in the Roman world throughout the Roman Empire as Christianity was embraced as the national religion of the Roman Empire. So, Ion was one of the gods that was replaced by Jesus. In the midst of this, Jesus shows up as the centerpiece, the center message that lasts for all of time. And now, it is possible that even if this is your first time hearing any of this stuff, that you might still know that central message about Jesus. It's found in summary form, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves the world, the whole world, the world that He created, this present world, this present earth, and all of its inhabitants. Anyone who would believe in Him, anyone who would put their trust in Him, place their full weight on Him, would not be lost for all of time. They would not die, but they would gain everlasting life or eternal life. Jesus claimed to be able to give people eternal life. So, for those of us that are Christians, it's so important to understand what it is or who it is that you place your faith in. And how much faith and belief do you really have in that? You need to understand what you've got there. Here's why. These, the, the understanding, these snapshots of heaven, these heavenly realities is so important because your perspective of heaven impacts how you live on earth. Not it can or it might, it has to, it will, and, and in a way bigger manner than, than you think that it does. But you know what's also true? How you live on earth impacts how you will experience heaven. There's a principle that lies beneath both of these other two principles. It's at work in your life today, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not. This is what we are all doing at the same time. We live toward what we look forward to in life. So when I was anticipating getting married, before I had even a a candidate for the position of Graham's wife, it was, you know, not earnestly sought after. I, I was moving towards getting my life together. I was saving money. I was strategizing. I was planning. I had my love money account where I began saving for an engagement ring long before there was the concept of what style of ring I'm looking for and long before there was a finger to wear that ring. I had started my plan. I was studying. I was learning for job, for ministry preparation, but also for personal development. I was reading books during the day, and then I was reading more books at night. I was watching other people's relationships. I was looking for qualities that I admired, that I wanted to emulate, and and, and I didn't want to bring all of my calamity onto someone else. I wanted to be able to add value Your preparations for what you are planning for impact your current behaviors, your habits, and your choices. So you adjust you now to help develop you later. You invest in your own future. And the same principle applies for your next big promotion, for your your next exciting vacation, your retirement. Your future plans impact the ways that you live now. And the more that you look forward to something, the more you live in that direction. And and you're completely willing to invest your time and your, your effort, your resources, your energy, your behavior. You intentionally invest your time, your treasure, and your talents, and you leverage them in that direction. Some of you have lived towards something for a really long time. and Maybe you got there. Maybe you achieved it. And, and you, you spent a bunch of time investing in that. And then you arrived at that goal 
And when you did, you realized that what you had sacrificed just wasn't worth it. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his friends in the city of Colossae, he wrote this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, go eyes up, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Three, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Four, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. So what do we do? Verse five, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Six, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Seven, you used to do these things. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, when that's where you focused. Eight, but now is the time. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Why do we hold on to them anyways? Nine, don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Ten, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. 11. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. So set your sights on heaven. Go eyes up on heaven. Plan your life now by the goal that you want to arrive at. When I am dead and people are remembering me, what do I want them to say? What do you want them to say about you? With that end in mind, live in that direction now. When we believe, we act in such a way that we treat it as true. If you really believed that if you acted in in, in such a way that it was true that you would have everlasting, eternal, abundant life ahead of you, guaranteed, waiting for you on the other side of this life, how would that change the way that you live this life now? Something worth thinking about. What are you looking forward to in life most? Because that thing that you are looking forward to most, you're living towards. You owe it to yourself to make sure that it is worth devoting your entire life towards. Because it is dictating and it is determining how you live now. You make sure that it's something that you were designed to experience. Kind Father, thank you for hope. Hope that can overshadow even all of the darkness and distractions that we are facing. 
Heaven can be one of those things that is nice to think about, but at the same time, we are nervous to really place our full weight on that belief. Lord Jesus, give us the courage to respond to You today in the direction that You lead us. And may we continue to take next steps in earnest pursuit of You, steps that You guide. And Holy Spirit, grant us the wisdom to discern pathways forward in our regular lives that we might run after You, that we might follow after You well and wisely. Let the hope and promise of heaven impact our relationships and choices this week and as we step towards you once again. Amen. Let's stand together for our final song.